Hello, everyone. This is Greg Drevenson, Editor-in-Chief at Writer Magazine, and your host for the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast. Our guest today is Stephen Good. Stephen has been riding motorcycles for decades, and he has a real passion for long-distance tours. In recent years, he rode 14,000 miles to the four corners of the U.S., 12,000 miles to visit all of the lower 48 states, and 17,000 miles to visit nearly every national park in America. This past summer, he embarked on a 75-day, 15,000-mile ride around the country to visit the best Jewish deli in nearly every state. His journey became known as the Great American Deli Schlepp, and he raised nearly $20,000 for Maison, a Jewish nonprofit that fights hunger. This is a great episode you don't want to miss, so stay tuned. Hello, Stephen. Welcome to the show. Hi, Greg. How are you? Doing great. And you're in the Chicago area, is that correct? I am in the Deerfield suburb of Chicago. Right on. Well, I'm out in California. We have the benefit of internet uh, to keep us in touch. Uh, so hopefully the internet connection stays good. Now, you have uh, written a, a couple of features for Writer Magazine. The most recent is called The Great American Deli Schlepp, and we want to get into the details about that. Um, that's in the December issue of Writer. Uh, it's really one of, it's a great way to finish up 2021. It's one of the really great features that we published this year. So tell us about how you got into motorcycling. I mean, you've done some of these round the country tours, uh, you know, where you've gone all around the country for thousands and thousands of miles, but how did you get into motorcycling? Well, when I was about, uh, oh, 14, 15 years old, my older brother had a, a small hot motorcycle and I rode it and my buddies all had little mini bikes. So we rode those around the football field. And when I turned 16, I bought my first bike after working uh, uh, at a gas station for you know a couple of years and saving up my money and bought my first motorcycle. And um, uh, that was a Honda 100 CL. And uh, from there, it just uh, kept growing. Uh, I took a little bit of a breather during college. And uh, when I graduated college, um, after college, uh, bought my, uh, my second motorcycle and then moved on from there. So you stuck with it when you had a family and career and all that stuff. I know sometimes motorcycling takes a back seat to that. Yes, I did. I, I was very fortunate. My wife, uh, joined me, uh, riding pillion and, uh, we took a couple of trips. And then once our uh, two sons were born in, in 1985 and 1988, um, I was still able to uh, take some trips. We actually uh, took my youngest, my oldest son, and gave him to my aunt, his aunt, uh, for two weeks. And we went out to Colorado and rode all through Colorado when he was about eight months old. So, um, yeah, so we, we kept it. Uh, we kept it going. Great. Now. You've gone on several trips. Uh, we, in the July issue of Rider, we had a, a feature that um, you had written about uh, a tour that you did where you visited nearly every national park in the United States. And I think before that, um, you also did a trip where you went to the four corners of the US. So what got you into doing these really long distance, many days, weeks in a row type trips? Well, in 2012, I sort of semi-retired um, from the real estate business and uh, decided that uh, I was looking at uh, uh, the Iron Butt uh, uh, website and they had the four corners of the United States listed. 
where you're supposed to do it in something like 10 days. Um, I decided I liked the trip, but I didn't want to do it in 10 days. I wanted to sightsee and, and visit friends and relatives along the way. So that was uh, in 2013. I did uh, four corners of the United States. Came back, loved it so much that the following year I decided I wanted to do all 48 states, the lower 48, which I did, uh, which was surprisingly less mileage than the four corners because all you had to do was go in and actually, quote, touch the state and move on. Um, that was a little bit over 11,000 miles. The, and then um, in 2017, um, a friend of mine, uh, my wife, actually this one, my, my wife sent me a uh, email with a map of the United States uh, detailing every national park in the lower 48 states and the fastest way to get there. Uh, there was a professor who, who had some algorithm and uh, plotted it on a, a U.S. map. So in 2017, I decided to visit 47 national parks in the lower 48 states. Wow. Now I, now I think there's 49. They added two in the last year or two. Well, I know a couple of those are on islands. There's the Dry Tortugas and uh, the Channel Islands, which is just off the coast of where I live. Uh, were you able to visit those? Did you take a ferry or something out and visit those? I did. Uh, there's actually three national parks that are is only accessible via uh, a, a boat. And uh, Dry Tortugas, 70 miles west of Key West, Florida. It's about a two and a half hour boat ride. And uh, so I went to that. That was a, that, that's a coordination issue because they only sell, I think, 150 or 175 tickets per day. Okay. So I had to make sure I was in Key West the morning of the, you know, the time that we were supposed to leave. So it's a one day trip out there, visit the island and then come back. And then uh, uh, the other islands, same thing. You had to uh, make sure that you had the tickets in hand because there were limited supply. Sure. And I don't do well on boats. So that was the <laughs> toughest part of the trip. I was, I, I was just shy of over the side of the boat. <laughs> you know, it's a little green. It. Yeah, I understand. A little, a little green. Yeah, especially going after the Channel Islands, it can get a little, it can get a little uh, choppy out there for sure. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was great. So, so these those so these trips, did you do all these solo? Yes. Um, I prefer riding solo did is I connected with other uh, motorcyclists around the country that I was friendly with and uh, rode with them for like two or three days. Um, on this last trip, the Delhi Schlepp trip, uh, I'm a member of the uh, Jewish Motorcycle Alliance, which is a international organization of Jewish bikers. And we have uh, clubs in, I don't know, 30 different cities in the United States, Canada, Australia, Israel, England. And um, what I did is I put the word out to them and said, I'm going to be in Cleveland. I'm going to be in Atlanta uh, or LA, whatever. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be riding on this deli schlep. And I would hook up with them for the ride into the deli. Typically, you know, we'd have five or 10 motorcyclists riding into the deli. And then uh, on occasion, a couple of them would say, well, I want to join you for two or three days, at which point, you know, two or three days on the road, and then uh, we say our goodbyes, and then move on. Awesome. But, but probably 95% was solo. Sure, sure. Well, uh, you mentioned the Delish Lab, so let's, uh, what, let's talk about that. What, so you've talked about um, the Four Corners, 
visiting all the lower 48 states, visiting nearly every national park in the United States. So you checked off some of the big bucket list rides for American, you know, long haul motorcyclists. So um, looking for a new challenge, how did you come up with this most recent trip that you did this past summer? So my club, uh, the Chicago Jewish Motorcycle Club called the Highway Riders, there's a member in there who knows of my passion and he shoots me an email uh, with a uh, article written by Nasher Magazine, which is a, uh, a magazine highlighting Jewish foods around, around the United States. And it listed an article that uh, every, the best Jewish deli or top Jewish deli in every state. And, he's, and this guy, Roger Burton, sends me this article and he goes, this should be your next trip. I looked at it, I looked at my wife, and she just shook her head and said, okay, go for it. <laughs> she, knew, she knew the drill. So she said, go for it. And so I started plotting it out. I called Nasher Magazine, started that process going. And then my wife said, look, if you're going to do this trip, why don't you do it as a fundraiser and an awareness project of hunger in the United States? And you should partner with Mazone. Uh, Mazone is based in LA. And uh, they're a Jewish organization that fights hunger through public policy change. They have offices in Washington, D.C. and L.A. And uh, so they, they attack um, hunger through trying to change the laws around hunger for, you know, veterans, seniors, singles, uh, people who are, who are food insecure. And um, so I learned a lot. Uh, one of the things I did learn was that there were 38 million Americans prior to COVID that were food insecure. Uh, the definition of food insecurity is at some point during the past 12 months, you don't know where your next meal's coming from. Okay. That's called food insecurity. What they told me um, is that that number jumped to 80 million people during COVID, wow. which is astounding. That's like one in four. So um, I partnered with Mazone. And they did a lot of the behind the scenes. I, I laid out the trip. Uh, I organized uh, the the coordination and you know with my clubs, my various clubs. And uh, but they did all the the uh, behind the scenes work, the logos, the the posters, reaching out to every deli, that type of thing. So you're based in the Chicago area. So I assume they're one of these delis uh, on this list would be in Chicago, but then you had to plot out the route to connect the dots to go to all of these delis, is that correct? That is right, right. So what I did is I sat down with a United States map. I first, I first I developed the spreadsheet and then I sat down with the map and I said, okay, what's the most expeditious way to hit all these delis? Because I mean, literally they're, you know, I started at Manny's in Chicago, and then I did Indianapolis, and then, and then down to uh, Kentucky, and then up to, to Ann Arbor, and I just started doing the whole wet East Coast thing. So I, I went East Coast first, and then I dropped down to go to Florida, and then started going, bouncing up and down, up and down, all the way out West. Awesome. So this trip uh, took you how long and about how many miles did you cover? Uh, the trip started June 1st and the last deli was August 14th. So that was 75 days. Um, the total mileage was just under 15,000. I think it was 14,800 miles, something like that. 
Um, I, I thought it was going to be about 16,000 miles, but I guess I didn't do as many side trips as I thought. So you did a little sightseeing along the way. It wasn't just visiting delis. Right, right. Yeah. I visited friends and relatives and, you know, I did a, I rode Route 36 in California. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is wonderful. <laughs> oh my goodness. 140 miles of curves. Fantastic. Which you road. just don't, which you just don't get in Illinois. No, I mean, no, 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 no. We're pretty blessed with uh, the number of, of uh, curvy roads in California. So, so uh, two and a half months, uh, you did it during the summer. What, what motorcycle did you ride? I had a 2018 Honda Goldwing Tour, um, and, uh, uh, which was a great bike for this type of trip. It was all pavement pretty much. And um, it, was, it, it worked beautifully. Are you a Just, standard transmission or DCT guy? Standard. Standard. Gotcha. Standard transmission, yeah. So you've got your, your Goldwing, you're loaded up. Um, so, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about how this works because, uh, you know, I know from reading the, the feature that you, you wrote for Ryder is it sounded like this was a logistical challenge. I mean, you clearly built in enough time to be able to visit some friends and family and some sites along the way. This, um, But you're trying to coordinate by going to some of these delis. I know you've had some media interviews and so forth. So how was the how did the logistics of a trip like this work out? This trip was probably the most difficult trip to plan out. The Four Corners was easy. All I had to do is be at four different locations uh, in the entire trip. Uh, but on this particular trip, I was meeting up with the deli owners, uh, the, the media, because they would try to typically have media there. So I had to tell them, I'm going to be at your place on Tuesday, you know, June 12th at 1130. And all the coordination was focused on that. So I had to roll into within 50, 75 miles of that town, whichever town it was, whichever town they were located in, I had to be within 50 to 75 miles of that town so I could get up in the morning and make sure that I could get to the deli in time and do the media interviews, which meant that a lot of times I had to leave the prior deli uh, the afternoon, no, 2 o'clock, 1.30, uh, in order to get enough miles in to get to the next deli. So there's 40, there were 42 delis on the trip uh, out of 75 days. So, you know, I was at a deli every other day. Wow. Thereabouts. Yeah. So, and also, as you uh, mentioned, because the top Jewish deli in, in most states would typically be in a large city, you know, uh, maybe there's, you know, right. and so a lot of long distance motorcyclists, you go on a tour, most people would avoid cities, but you're having to go into cities for at least 42 of them. And so you got to get into a city, you got to get out to a city. Uh, you know, yeah, you can do the occasional Route 36 enjoyable ride, but I'm sure there was a lot of it was just dealing with traffic. Well, typically what I would do is I would do back roads uh, between cities. When I get within 50 miles uh, of a major city like uh, Atlanta or New York or whatever, I would, or LA, I would jump on the highways only to avoid the stoplights and the congestion and try to get in and out of the city as quickly as possible. But once, once I'm out of the city, I was fine. I was on the back roads. You know, I, I, I hit my GPS and say back roads and boom, I was, uh, you know, I was on my way to the next city via back roads. And, and that's how I planned it actually uh, with my initial spreadsheet. So my initial spreadsheet uh, took into account how long it would take me on back roads to get from, you know, one city to the other. 
And um, uh, the one city that really sort of freaked me out a little bit was New York. I mean, riding into Manhattan, not <laughs> knowing Manhattan, I was a little concerned. What I didn't realize is that as soon as you get within five miles of Manhattan, uh, you're going 10 miles an hour. <laughs> you right. know, you're stuck in traffic. So you've got plenty of time to adjust. You're not going 60 miles an hour and saying, oh, geez, my exit's over there. Uh, you had plenty of time to adjust. And as you well know, it's tough to get into a lot of trouble at 10 miles an hour. Sure. Yeah. I've ridden yeah. in and out of Manhattan before, and it's a, it's a quite an experience for sure. Yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, so that, yeah. But all the others, you know, having come from Chicago, I was used to riding in big cities. Sure. So it's just the fact that I didn't know all of the intricacies of their highway systems. Right. So you mentioned you went to Manny's Deli in Chicago. I know in New York, uh -huh. you went to Katz's, which is probably the most uh -huh. famous deli that most people have either heard of or seen or something like that. So uh, tell us about some of these other delis, you know, in terms of their, I, I know you've, they, some of them got a little bit of a backstory. I know you went to one, you were one of the first customers of one deli and another deli was over hundred years old. Right. I went to, uh, I went to the first deli um, uh, and they were not open. Uh, they were just about to open in a week. And um, they, they called and they said, look, we're not open, but we'll, We'll open for you. The, the other deli, Atman's in in uh, Philadelphia, not Philadelphia. I'm sorry. Uh, Atman's was in um, Baltimore. Baltimore. Thank you. Jeez. You know that's the other. Problem. <laughs> Honestly, that's the other. That's the other component. Is that is that you don't even remember what you did the day before because you're you're constantly moving through these delis. Uh, so Atman's in Baltimore was 105 years old. Wow. So you went from a Delhi that literally was about to open in a week to Atman's, which was third generation, which is kind of interesting. Uh, some of the other delis, you know, that uh, was was interesting was uh, General Muir down in Atlanta, uh, Herschel's in Philadelphia. Um, really, they all had a story, which was wonderful behind their uh, their existence. Which well, great. I mean, it's it's interesting because you know many people can go to. Uh, a deli or a restaurant and order some food, but uh, you had the opportunity to meet owners or managers. And I know many of these uh, delis are, you know, they're family owned businesses, multi-generation family owned businesses. And uh, so, yeah, you got to meet those folks and, and hear their story, which I'm sure was, was very fascinating. Absolutely. Um, one of the more interesting ones was Kenny and Ziggy's. Um, Ziggy Gruber down in Houston. Uh, they actually made a video called the, I think it was called the Deli Man, and he was prominently displayed in the um, uh, in that video uh, documentary about how there were thousands of Jewish delis and now there's literally hundreds, mm. you know, uh, nowadays. And um, so, so he he was a very interesting character, uh, and really, as I think he's like third generation um, deli owner and it was just it was just fun because you learned a lot and um and they were very proud of their their restaurants and rightfully so they're, they're bringing some terrific uh taste you know food to the to the market that that they serve well do you you know uh do you have a favorite sandwich you would typically order or or meal that you would get at a jewish i know every menu is different but there are usually some standards 
My personal favorite is a corned beef sandwich with potato pancake. Huh? Um, that being said, I didn't order it at every deli. I just couldn't. <laughs> so I sampled a little bit of everything, and um, it, it, which was fun. I mean, so I I sort of I sort of uh, explored the uh, the total menu of every deli, uh, whether it be uh, pastrami or corned beef or brisket or or whatever they, I, I was able to uh, uh, jump in and figure out which which one I was feeling, the, you know, uh, what, what I had a taste for that day. It, it's interesting. When I look through the photos that you had sent us, it's it, as much as I like seeing photos of your motorcycle parked in a scenic location or, you know, you, you often, you had a banner that you carried with you. You would have it with a group of people from the deli or maybe some of your, your friends from the Jewish Motorcyclist Alliance uh, in front. But you had some of the most mouthwatering food photos. <laughs> I mean, some of these super stacked high sandwiches, you know, the potato latkes, the matzo ball soup. I mean, you just had a little bit of everything. And uh, so we tried to include a variety of those in the story, but uh, man, that made me super jealous to go and, and sample all that food in so many different places. Well, it was, it was terrific. You know, it was funny because all my friends and family said before the trip, they said, oh my God, you're gonna, you're gonna gain 40 pounds your cholesterol is going to go sky high. You know, you got to be careful what you're, and actually a friend of mine who's also a motorcycle said, he's a doctor said, be careful what you're eating there, Steve. Turned out, which, which was fascinating. I weighed myself and I did all of the statistics, the medical statistics beforehand, took all my blood work and everything else beforehand. And then afterwards, I actually lost two or three pounds on this trip. Huh? And people were like, how'd that happen? <laughs> how did, how did you possibly go all these delis and lose weight and i said look at when you're on a motorcycle you don't have a refrigerator that you can go to every five minutes sure and and when you're in the hotel room you know it's whatever you bring into the hotel room so pretty much i was i was three meals a day and a couple of almonds and snacks during the breaks and that was it well you're also riding in the in the summertime i know you were dealing with some i mean oh. i rode from denver to back to southern california um in august and when i was going through um down through mesquite nevada and, and las vegas and so forth it was a hundred it topped out at 113 degrees and so it's like riding through a frying pan and so yeah you're you're sweating you know for hours oh absolutely and i think i i think uh in was it, was it red bluff california i hit 108 Ooh. on my temperature gauge and i pulled in got a hotel room and um, the only thing that 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 that, that concerned me, um, but I, you know, I I, I wear a uh, a water vest. You know, I soak it in water and I put it on under my gear. That's where uh, great. I have a I oh my goodness, the Camelback. I fill up a three liter insulated Camelback with ice and water, and and sip on it constantly every five minutes, um, and then a bandana, and then. Uh, a trick that I just figured out is I had like a, a, a wide mouth plastic container and I shoved my leather gloves into those, that container every half hour, pulled them out and they were so totally, totally soaked and then rode with them. So it cooled my hands and my wrists down. So that helped a tremendous amount, just having water constantly on your body so that as air passed over it, cooled sure. it down. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you know, living in Southern California and having the Mojave Desert so close and, uh, is that 
it's extremely dry. So you've got humidity down in the single digits and then it's really hot. And then of course, if you're riding um, on a back road or a freeway, you can be going 60, 70 miles an hour or more. And so it's just like riding through a blast furnace. It's just getting hit in the face. So yeah, those cooling vests, the having the, the hydration pack with ice water, I mean, those are those are survival strategies, basically, if you ride through those sorts of temperatures. And uh, so, yeah, it's just about keeping your your self hydrated, your body as cool as you can. So, yeah, that's I, I, I totally get that. This was a, this, this, on one of my trips. It, it was really an awakening for me being from Chicago. Um, I was riding those 106 degrees or 107. And I typically will ride with a full helmet with my face shield up in order to get fresh air in my helmet, my face. And what I realized is that it was cooler to ride with the face shield down than up. Sure. And the way that somebody explained it to me is I said, it, it's like riding into a hairdryer. Yeah. You know, a, a portable hairdryer. It's like having a hairdryer pointed right at your face. Whereas if your shield is down, it's 98.6 or 100 degrees within your helmet versus 110 or 108. Right. So that was a, and we just don't get that temperature in Chicago or the Midwest. No, no. And it's, you know, it, it, as, as you well know, because if you went, if you rode Route 36, which starts near Red Bluff in the Central Valley of California and goes over the mountains all the way to the coast. I don't know which direction you went, but it ends in near Fortuna, California, which is where the Redwoods are. And it can be 50 degrees in the middle of the summer and foggy. So, I mean, it'll be a hundred degrees or more in the Central Valley. And it can be, like I said, half that, you know, it can be, it can drop 40 to 50 degrees, uh, you know, and, and when you cross those mountains, so, yeah. Yeah, I switched out my gloves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly. Well, I know one of the, uh, you know, you mentioned that Maison uh, is the organization that you supported. You uh, mentioned that they have offices in Los Angeles. And I know that uh, you had taken a photograph with a group of those folks uh, when you went to Cantor's Deli in Los Angeles, which right. is, I think, one of the only delis on your list I've been to. And I'm actually going to go there today uh, and have one of their uh, corned beef sandwiches. Uh, a colleague of mine, are, the Peterson Automotive Museum is just a few blocks south of Cantor's Deli. And it has uh, typically, there's a gallery within the Peterson that um, always has a small motorcycle exhibit. Sometimes they have larger ones, but this is one called ADV Overland. So we're going to go see a motorcycle exhibit and then we're going to go up to Cantor's and have ourselves, uh, you know, big corned beef sandwiches. So, oh, that's really fun. Yeah. That's so, really fun. Uh, I know this is a, a they, along the way uh, with Maison that you had a, um, a fundraising campaign. I imagine that campaign is still going. So we'll include a link to uh, the Deli Schlepp uh, page on Maison's website in, in the show notes. Um, it, so what was it like to go through? I, I know that you had mentioned the pandemic earlier. Uh, I think uh, this trip was originally planned for 2020, but you had to postpone it for a year due to the pandemic. Um, so what was the trip like for this year with, you know, delis and, and different states and, and riding through there? Uh, was, was the pandemic much of an impact on this particular trip other than the postponement? Well, um, not, not really, because what happened was, as you know, as you just mentioned, it was postponed. Uh, then, you know, I was vaccinated, so I felt fairly comfortable about getting out and riding. Um, but as you know, motorcycling is a solo sport and, you know, 90 
percent of the time I was pretty much by myself, checked into hotels, you know, went out to dinner by myself. Uh, so I wasn't interacting with a huge group sure. uh, every day. Uh, so at probably my guess at a probably about 30 different delis. I had a bigger group, um, probably 10 or 12 of them. I was by myself or maybe with one or two other people. So I was able to control my environment right. uh, relative to exposure. Sure. So from that standpoint, I wasn't so concerned about that. However, you know, if you remember in June, everything was plummeting downward as far right. as numbers. And it was great. Every, you know, everything was opening up. Everything was fine. About mid-July, all of a sudden, if you recall, we started hearing that the numbers were ticking back up and it was uh, climbing pretty rapidly. So between mid-July and mid-August, I was a, more, a little bit more concerned, a little more cautious, right. but just sort of staying out of the, out of the uh, forefront of uh, exposure. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, that is one of the great benefits of motorcycling is it really can be a solitary or small group exercise where you're out in the open air, which is what uh, we all know is, is, is where, where you want to be if you're around other people, um, but you can uh, travel at your own pace and, and, and keep a little bit of separation. Um, so uh, do you have, uh, now that you've completed this trip, you've been back home for a few months, uh, do you have another trip in mind? Are you... You know, and I get that question a lot. I've got to tell you, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be doing another long distance trip like this, where it's a two month, sure. you know, 10, 12, 15,000 mile trip. I'll probably do some smaller trips and leave some, some trips with some of my riding buddies, you know, to the Blue Ridge Parkway, maybe out to uh, Utah uh, or Glacier. But um, I don't think I'm going to be doing the massive cross country because sort of been there, done that. Sure. <laughs> well, yeah, this, you've done you've done it. I guess this is your fourth major trip where you've kind of done big laps around the country in different ways. And uh, I know that's something that a lot of people dream about, you know, is that um, it's a matter of having the time and the money and the motivation and all of those things. I know you mentioned that. Uh, a few years back, you uh, at least semi-retired, and that allowed you a little bit more flexibility in your schedule. And um, uh, so, yeah, that you've been able to do that uh, is is fantastic. That's great. It, it's really a blessing, and I, I I realize how fortunate I am to be able to uh, be able to do these types of trips. And for anybody who's listening, you know, you don't have to start with a major trip like that. I mean, my wife and I used to do 2000 mile trips, you know, take a couple of weeks, 10 days, um, and just sort of, uh, uh, plan out some trips in the Midwest or maybe out to Colorado or the East coast. And then that built on it. And, uh, you, you build and you learn what works and what doesn't work and where your comfort range is. And it's not for everybody, but, uh, for those who want to do these major trips, you know, pick a, if you can pick a organization that you want to raise some money for or some awareness for and partner with them and just, and just go out to your community. It, this was the most rewarding, personally rewarding trip I've been on because it allowed me to meet people around the country, fabulous people around the country. And now I've got, I've got people in every major city that I could turn to and call upon. And um, it, it was really very rewarding, both, you know, from 
you know, raising money and awareness regarding hunger and also uh, making new friends and visiting family. And it was, it was just wonderful. So I, I would encourage anybody who's thinking about doing that to, uh, to plan it. Well, and yeah, again, you know, I was I had the uh, good fortune of seeing a lot of the photos that you you shared with us, and um, I loved um, the photos of you and the groups of people, whether it was uh, the owners or family members or workers from the deli or some of your friends from the JMA uh, standing out in front of some of these delis. You know, there would be some motorcycles parked there. Everybody's all smiles. Right. I mean, you sound like you really had an opportunity to. I mean, you met new people at forty-two different delis around the country. And um, uh, that's great. I mean, I know that you had mentioned in your story that, you know, you partly because you were in so many different states and you rode through so many different areas that you met people from all walks of life, you know, young, old, you know, urban, rural, you know, people in all kinds of places. And that really is one of the, the side benefits of going on a motorcycle trip, uh, even one that's not quite as ambitious as yours. But is just that, uh, you know, in addition to the roads that you ride and the sites that you see, it can really be the people that you meet along the way. It can be in a diner, it can be in a gas station, it can be in a, a park somewhere. And uh, that's, that's always one of the nice parts of travel. You know, what's interesting is that, is that what I realize is that when you travel, especially by yourself, uh, you have to get out of your comfort zone, whatever that is, or you're just going to be by yourself. So you're going to have to go out and talk to people and interact with people along the way. Also, what I found out is that when you're motorcycling by yourself, it's much easier for people to come up to you. And the opening question is, where are you going? Where are you from? Most people are comfortable doing that if you're by yourself. If you're in a group of three or four or five motorcyclists, people typically won't approach you. So... What I have found is that when I was riding with others, I didn't get to meet the locals as much as when I was by myself. Right. You know, yeah, they the don't want to interrupt kids, the group. Yeah, they don't want to. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they don't want to interrupt the group or the little kids don't want to walk up to a group of four guys that look intimidating um, <laughs> and say, you know, what kind of motorcycle? Can I touch it? Can I sit right. on it? Right. That type of thing. So, so uh, it, it's twofold when you're by yourself. It's. You're, you have to get out of your comfort zone and it allows people to come into your circle, so to speak, and start the conversation. And that's the best part. That was the most fun. Absolutely. Is, is, is Absolutely. Finding, those, finding those people. Well, I know, I know that, you know, again, the, the pandemic has been a, a challenging thing for a lot of us in a lot of different ways. And I know some people have um, uh, limited their travel. Uh, you know, I know I used to go into an office. I've been working from home uh, for the last mm -hmm. couple of years. And um, it can be one of those challenges where if you kind of get out of the habit of doing certain social activities uh, for a variety of reasons, or even some of your, some travel, I know we've got this new variant that's just popped up and we've got the holidays coming up and people are wondering if they're going to be able to travel is that, you know, with a, with a motorcycle trip, even though we're getting into the winter months when many people in the U.S. can't travel, is uh, it can really be something give you something to look forward to to start planning a trip for next spring or next summer, um, whether it's by yourself or with a few buddies, is that um, it sounds like you did a lot, obviously, to plan a very uh, logistically challenging trip. You had a lot of uh, coordination involved, whereas in some of your previous trips, you, you said that you were just really, when you got there, you got there, it would be fine. But, you know, just being able to plan and anticipate a trip can also just, it can be as satisfying as the trip itself in some ways, because you've got months and months to look forward to it. 
you know, say, hey, as of May 1st or June 1st, I'm gonna go on a trip. So um, that's what I'm hoping with the, the, the features that you've written in Rider, uh, with your uh, national park tour, this deli schlep that um, it, it inspires people to, to, like I said, go out on some of these trips. They don't have to be nearly as ambitious, but uh, if there's a place that you've wanted to go, there's so many fantastic places to visit in this country. Uh, whether it's some national park or some landmark. I know you visited the geographic center of the United States and Kansas on this trip. There's some place like you want that you want to go, hey, plan it and start, you know, put a stake in the ground. Say, I'm going to leave on June 1st and, and plan ahead for it. Yeah, the, the uh, <clears throat> you know, the other thing that, that about, about planning and, and, and then looking back, I wrote blogs on every single one of my trips. Just sat down. One of the nice things about traveling by yourself is that you get to a hotel room, and after you've had dinner, you've got two hours, three hours to sit down with your computer and sort of recap the day, your thoughts, whatever those thoughts are along the way. And looking back on that, five, ten years later, you realize what, what a, uh, a benefit it is to be able to look back on those notes and recreate the trip. Right. So you've got, like you just said, you've got the beauty of planning it, and then you've got the beauty of looking back two, three, four years later if you keep up, keep good notes, and basically you rewrite the trip in your brain absolutely. or your head. In your head, yeah, so uh, absolutely, we'll include a link to your uh, to your blog because it's it's fascinating. I know your wife Judy helped you, uh, you know, edit that together and keep it going on a daily basis. You took photos, you went to um, the delis, but it's a, it's really a day by day chronicle of your trip. So it really allows people to go on the journey with you. I have a friend of mine who, uh, just this past summer completed the trans America trail, which goes from North Carolina to Oregon on a almost entirely off-road route. Um, and, um, he actually used Facebook in a similar way. He did daily posts where he would have however many photos and he would have pretty detailed captions of each one. So you could go in and follow along and see some of the challenges he had with, with weather conditions or certain, you know, um, um, high passes in the mountains and so forth. So keeping track of what you're doing uh, is, is a great way to share it with friends or family, but also, like you said, a few years down the line, you can go back and, and, and uh, revisit your trip. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, I don't know about you, but it's always been the most memorable part of a trip is not the day that it's 75 degrees, sunny, no wind, beautiful, nothing happens. It's always, you know, the tire that you hit on the New Jersey Turnpike that <laughs> happened on this trip. It's, it's always the, you know, the torrential rainstorm where you end up, you know, riding through about an eight or 10 inch puddle, you almost dump the bike. I mean, those are the memories, you know, it's always those that sort of stand out the, on a trip that you remember. You know, the 75 degree sunny day, it's sort of like, okay, that's wonderful, but that's, that doesn't stand out. I, I agree. I mean, there's a, there's a saying, I think it was uh, C.S. Lewis, that, that adventure is not enjoyable when it's happening or something to that effect, is that you're absolutely right. Some of the, some of the parts of the trip when it's long hours in the saddle, or we were talking about how it can be extremely hot sometimes, almost where you feel like it's maybe even dangerous to continue going is absolutely those difficult situations. It can be a flat tire. It can be, um, you know, a, 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 you know, challenging road or something. Those are the things that are most memorable. I know I can absolutely think back to some of my earliest motorcycle rides and it was riding through 
an unexpected rainstorm or it was being um you know in an area that was very unfamiliar to me and uh feeling like i, I was losing my way or something so it wasn't just cruising down the road you're absolutely right i agree right well you know one of the things that uh everybody else has asked me about is aren't you nervous traveling by yourself what happens if something happens how where are they going to find you how are they going to find you and one suggestion is this, to your listeners is that they do do this type of a ride uh, by themselves. It's always good to have a tracking, a personal tracking device with you and then somebody monitoring, which is what my wife did. So in the morning, you know, I get on the bike, I call her up and I say, okay, I'm leaving and I'll, I'll be in Missoula, Montana. And, you know, I'll be riding through Montana. There's nothing out there. Uh, God forbid you get a flat tire or you have an accident and you're on the side of the road. So I said, track me. So uh, these personal tracking devices that you can buy, um, she would every hour or two just on her phone click in and make sure that I was still moving. Right. And um, so I felt like I had somebody uh, watching over me. And, um, you know, the other thing that was kind of funny that I had to laugh about is that as I was riding through Montana, and there, I literally didn't see a car for like an hour. You've been there, I'm sure. Sure. And you're you're going, okay, you know, I don't have a sweep. I don't have anybody behind me watching my back. And what I figured out is that if I find a car that's in front of me, what I'll do is I'll pass them and then stay about a half a mile ahead of them so that I'm not interfering with their travel, but they've got eyes on me. Right. So in essence, in essence, they became my sweep. Sure. So, you know, if I blew a flat tire and I ran off the road, hopefully they would see it happen and, and call the authorities. So I developed my own sweep that way. That's smart. That's smart. Well, that's also great advice. I mean, I know that there's the spot is one brand of the, the GPS tracker that basically uh, I've got the Garmin in reach and I absolutely every single ride, I have it clipped to my backpack or whatever I'm doing. Uh, so my wife, when she's at home, she can keep track of where, where I'm at. In part because where I live, even though I'm in coastal California, only an hour south of Los Angeles, I don't. I can go uh, 20 miles inland, and I'm in the in the Los Padres National Forest with no cell phone connection. So even if I had an issue up there, um, you know, I might not be able to reach someone, and I have the ability to send text messages or uh, via satellite. So I can do that with the particular tracker I have. But I have a, uh, a good friend of mine, an older gentleman that was on a group ride, uh, was in this area and um, he split off from the group towards the end of the ride and went home and never made it home and um, had had basically gone off the road and was a bit trapped under his motorcycle. And um, uh, he had no way to contact anyone. He was outside of cell range. I don't know if he, uh, I'm sure he had his cell phone with him that almost all of us do, but he had no these trackers have an SOS function where you can basically, you know, call call in the cavalry. So yeah, that's great advice. I mean, for the solo travel, I mean, with cell phones, a tracker, credit cards, I mean, you're usually not gonna be too far from, from help if you need it. Um, you're not truly gonna be out on your own. So uh, yeah, that really shouldn't be a barrier for most people to, to go out and enjoy it. Cause I'm like you, uh, you know, I really enjoy the solo travel. Uh, you know, I travel with groups at times, travel with my wife at times, but especially if I don't really have a, a, a real agenda is that I can just have uninterrupted time in my helmet to myself. I usually don't even listen to music. So I don't have cell phone text messages. I don't have phone calls. I don't have emails and I can just really let my mind wander and, and soak up the scenery. And uh, I think it's really, 
has a lot of psychological benefits, you know, being able to ride like that on your own. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's true meditation. It's, yes. The best way I can describe it is it's true meditation because like you just said, you're, you're by yourself and you're just sort of focused on the road and, and, and the surroundings. Um, and, um, it, it lowers your blood pressure. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, which, which is always a good thing. Yeah. I actually use, the only time I used my uh, spot tracker for the SOS uh, was in uh, right outside of Los Angeles on that road, I think, that you just mentioned, Angel Crest or Angel, Angel's Crest, yeah, sure. Angel's Crest. I came around a curve and there was a guy that lost it on his motorcycle, slammed into a, a mountain and was oh. sitting there bleeding. And there were two other motorcycles there. And I pulled up and I said, did you call in for help? They said, we don't have any cell phone service. So immediately I went to my spot, hit the SOS button. And I said, I'm going to go down the road until I get a signal and, and call it in. As I'm driving there, a helicopter is overhead and two ambulances are running up the opposite direction of where I'm going up to, to where that guy was. Absolutely. So it obviously worked. Well, absolutely. I mean, again, Angeles Crest Highway is, I mean, it's no more than, you know, 25, 30 miles from, you know, a major city on, you know, either direction. It's mm -hmm. just, but you can just be high enough in the mountains and canyons is that if you're out of cell phone range, uh, you're absolutely right. I think it's a really valuable thing. You, it was a, can be a valuable thing for a fellow motorcyclist. It's not necessarily you individually that, that goes down. Um, so yeah, those are those are great strategies for uh, for riding, uh, you know, in more in the roads that we want to ride, you know, the back roads, the backcountry roads where you're getting away from the traffic and the congestion and so forth. Um, again, if there's mountains, it's pretty easy to get out of uh, self coverage. So, oh, yeah. Well, Stephen, I really appreciate your time. I've really thoroughly enjoyed the features that you've written for um, for Rider magazine. I've gotten inspired by them. I wish I had the time to go do a trip like that. Um, I, we will have, uh, links in the show notes for Maison for the, for the, where they can make a donation to the Deli Schlepp. That's still open, would encourage folks, uh, you know, to, to go in, make a donation, especially this time of year, that would be helpful. Uh, is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? Uh, no, I, 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 Greg, you know, I so thoroughly appreciate your, you know, your enthusiasm, advice and, and backing. Uh, and uh, really love your magazine. Been right reading it since it came out in the seventies. So, thank you. Um, <clears throat> it's been it's been terrific, and thank you. Yeah, awesome. Well, and folks, the the Great American Deli Schlepp feature article is in the December twenty twenty one issue of Writer. You can go to writermagazine.com and uh, you can subscribe. And uh, we have a digital edition, we have a print edition, and as I said, we'll have links in the show notes. So, Stephen, again, thanks for your time. Have a great rest of your day. And for the Writer Magazine in Insider Podcast, I'm Greg Drevenstead. Thanks for listening and keep the rubber side down. If you've enjoyed listening to the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast, please subscribe, leave us a positive rating, and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit writermagazine.com, where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Writer Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening. 